Hey everybody, welcome back to the Practitioner's Podcast, where we're applying Jesus-style disciple-making to everyday life. This episode and all of our episodes are powered by Navigators Church Ministries, which focuses on helping churches make disciples who can make disciples. For more information, check out their website, navigatorschurchministries.com. Justin, how are you? I'm doing great, Tony. How are you doing today? Better than I deserve. Random question of the day. Yep. We're talking about life and a little bit about retirement today. So I'm curious, what is the perfect job you want to do in retirement? Not like a ministry job, but like the, your little side job. Something you do just to stay busy. Ooh, and that's a hard question. So I, I don't really plan to retire. Hopefully I'll be able to to continue to engage this ministry as long as I'm I'm here. But um I'm really bad with hobbies. Uh, basketball. Hope I can keep playing basketball. How about that? How about right. you? Um, oh, this is an, a no-brainer for me. I've thought about this one a lot. I would like to be the old man at the golf course that takes tickets. Oh. Right? I'd like to wear my socks really high and my shorts equally high. And then I'd like to take tickets from around 7.30 a.m. till 11.45 or noon. Okay. And then I'd like to go into the clubhouse. I'd like to have a hot dog every day, play a little bit of cards, and then I'd like to go play the back nine for free because I'm an employee. Wow. I can tell you thought about that. Well, I just think it's good to have goals. And then what's going to happen is I'm going to start discipling the old men at the golf course. Nice. I like it. Yeah, because, you know, I got a passion for sports and sports disciple making and how that all works. And I think that there's an opportunity there. Um yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and and I think it's a it's a good way to stay away from my wife all day long and still be able to um, do something that I enjoy doing. I'm sorry, babe. If, if, <laughs> yeah, if let's you hope listen she's to this, then listen to this episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, awesome. Well, today, Tony, we're continuing in our series on consumerism and the impact of consumerism on disciple making. Uh, today is part three. So part one, as you guys have heard, if you haven't, go back and listen. Uh, it, these things build on each other. The concepts build. So the first one was satisfaction can be purchased. So this is one of the lies that consumerism tells us. Um, and part of the implication of that lie is that money takes the top place in our culture society. Now in that episode, we also defined a consumer as someone who has surrendered to other people or to institutions, the power to provide what is essential for a necessary life. So that was part one. And then last episode, part two, we looked at uh, how purchasing power is found in systems. And so since satisfaction can be purchased, people figure out, well, how do I find money then? How do I purchase this satisfaction? And the answer was that you got to participate in a system and that in the West, especially, we are groomed for a life within systems, starting in the hospital at birth, all the way through hospice at death. Uh, we live and exist in systems, and our culture is dominated by those systems. And it often moves us into a position of either being a provider of services or a consumer of those of those services. And what is most often scarce in that sort of uh, culture is time. And so that's where we've been. Today, we are going into part three, uh, which is that systems demand our identity. 
And again, I'm going to start by just unpacking some things and then Tony, you and I can interact over it. Uh, but we're going to begin because today John is waking up to his dream come true. After decades of coloring inside the lines and playing by the rules, his reward has finally arrived. Today, John woke up to his retirement. And for John, today and tomorrow is going to be amazing. He's finally reached that destination that he's dreamed of and worked towards for decades. And even though he's going to be really excited today, a week from now, two weeks from now, a month from now, six months from now, at some point, that euphoria is going to give way to a deep sense of satisfaction, dissatisfaction rather. And that dissatisfaction, uh, he'll think at first he's just adjusting to retirement, right? That, that all right, the honeymoon period has worn off and he'll just try to find different distractions that kind of keep him away from experiencing that dissatisfaction. But as the days and weeks stretch into months and years, he'll decide to return to work. He'll decide that, this retirement thing just wasn't for him. And he'll make the conclusion that he just doesn't know how to feel whole without his job. You see, what this means is that for years, his participation in the system has not only um, been a way, a means to an end, it has become the end for him. Because what has happened is he's been discipled into someone uh, that he didn't even realize he was being discipled into. And so that's a common experience for most people uh, that reach retirement. Not only has they, have they gotten that purchasing power, but it's changed their very identity. Now, why does this happen? So in a consumeristic culture, this happens because in order to institutionalize something, to break something down into in individual parts or systems and then manage them, we have both the consumer and the producer needs to be depersonalized. And we see this all over because we see that as soon as robots are able to take over our human jobs, companies and corporations prefer the robots to the person because the person is there to produce. Nothing more, nothing less. They're there to do the job. We see the problem in workplaces that uh, they're trying to avoid the humanity of workers coming into the workplace. And so they have anti-fraternization policies that discourage relationships. And it's not that the relationships are a problem for the company. The problem comes when relationships have relationship uh, outcomes, such as conflict or breakups, if they were in, in a relationship together. And they're afraid that relationships will get in the way of productivity. And so workers are expected to maintain what's called a professional distance at work. See, when we dwell in these cultures and we dwell in these systems uh, for decades on end, it impacts our values. And we learn to form relationships in a certain way. And the certain way of relating to one another, I refer to as nice, comfortable relationships. We keep people at an arm's distance. And we keep them at an arm's distance because that's what we're taught to do. Because we're there to produce. We're not there to relate and have fun and get to know people. We are trained to believe that Production is more important than personhood. And that's what John learned. You see, John, like so many other, others, surrendered two crowns of human identity. And one of those crowns is self-expression, and the other is creativity that happen within the context of loving, loving relationships. You see, what we see in a consumeristic culture is that as we have relationship after relationship 
keeping people at arm's distance, we realize that we're not fulfilled. We're not fulfilled relationally. And we think the problem might be us. And it might be us, but the problem is also certainly impacted by our participation and involvement in consumeristic systems. These systems demand our identity. And the result of living in these systems for decades are shallow relationships, but also boredom. And when I say boredom, I don't mean uh, necessarily that we are bored, although that happens, but that we become boring. We no longer know how to love the world. We no longer know how to have it be enough. The culture demands repetition and predictability. And so most of us lose the ability to relate to our own heart or to the hearts of others. Consumerism has taught us um, just to do the work. And then it teaches us how to handle that boredom too. Now pay attention to this because, you know, you might be sitting there thinking, well, I don't know if I'm bored. You know, I feel like I, I got stuff to do. I have things I'm engaging in. But the way that consumerism handles the boredom of consumers is by asking them to consume. And so in your non-productive time, what is it that you spend time doing? What do you enjoy doing the most? For most consumers, for most people in a consumeristic culture like ours, the number one way that we like to handle our non-productive time, our non-work time, is by consuming, by being entertained. Right. So you think of video games or Netflix or shopping or sports. I mean, all these things are so ingrained in us that the idea of sitting and creating something or the idea of going out and making a new friend that you don't know. You know, we often don't think about those things. They don't seem desirable or they just seem like too much effort. And so we just sit and we consume. And so what we're, what we're focusing and honing in on this today is this idea that consumerism demands our identity by participating in these systems. And it happens in such a slow, methodical way that most of us don't even notice it's happening. And the result happens or it, it reaches the surface of the waterline where we can see it only after we retire or some other big life event happens that we've been dreaming about for decades. And now we're there and we realize that isn't what we want anymore because we've lost our ability to be in the world. And so what had become a means to an end, I'm going to have this job and make this money so that I can purchase things and so that I can have satisfaction. Now it's flipped and the job itself is what provides us satisfaction because it is how we know who we are in the context of that working world and in the context of that system. So, Tony, let me stop there. Um, what what did you hear? How did it impact you? Where do you want to go with it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, so obviously you and I are both parents. And so it's really easy to see this in the development of the next generation. It's a lot harder to see it in the development of ourselves, although it's clearly there. Hmm. One of the things that it struck a chord in me as you were talking about the idea about boredom and consumerism is this idea that a lot of our kids, um, mine especially, or mine that I can speak to specifically is a better way to say it, have lost the ability to play with any sense of imagination. And Mm -hmm. I was doing a little bit of research on this for a podcast. And one of the things that I recognized is that um, it, it takes about 30 minutes of boredom to get to creativity. 
Hmm. So 30 minutes of boredom to get to creativity, which means that it, it requires 30 minutes of not doing anything before we have enough space in our lives. And I'm going to say space away from the systems of the culture in order to create um, something really different, unique, and profound. And, and we even in our house, we call our electronic tablets, we call them electronic devices, which mm. is such a funny name to me because a device is something that we use to cope and to kind of uh, change our perspective. And so um, when you're on a device, you're in the thick of, uh, of being consumed. And um, you know Netflix is, is famous for this. YouTube is famous for this. It's an automatic scroll, meaning yeah. that it, it automatically goes from one video and then 15 seconds later, it goes to the next. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until recently, after years and years of, of being highly successful at what those, uh, their objectives are, did they put something into the equation that says, are you still there? Right? Mm. And, and right. Uh, because they, they want to they tap in. They want to see if you're all right. And so um, <laughs> I, you know, I think it's really easy to see that we live in a culture that wants to, to kind of, um, you know, suck suck us in and yeah. and in that process uh we lose who we are right it, mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah yeah we are we get so immersed and you know pulled in or sucked into these um these systems of entertainment even that we we can you know spend a whole evening doing those sorts of things and then turn things off and get ready for bed and just feel um just feel really exhausted um, yeah. even though we, we started it thinking it was going to relax us and be something that, you know, gave us energy in life. And a lot of times it does the exact opposite because we, we kind of zone out. We're just entertained and it's one thing to the next and it doesn't fulfill us the way that we are meant to be fulfilled, the way that God's designed us. Yeah. And, and I think that this is a real problem in, um, disciple making because when we lose our identity for the sake of the culture, we lose the responsibility or our personal part of the mission. You know, mm-hmm. you and I, over the course of our podcast, talk a ton about this idea that um, we are all called to be disciple makers. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It's not a spiritual gift, right? It's not like, hey, someone else has to do it or, or you have to do it. We, we are all called to make disciples. This is what it, it means to find our identity in Christ because a crucial part of what Christ did was make disciples. So if, if we're going to hold on to that identity, then we need to then um, step out in the way that Christ did and, and make disciples. But we won't be able to think that way if we're waiting for a system to come in and do it for us. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, I see that too. There's, there's kind of a passivity in the church and in life because consumerism's kind of taught us that if we're not working, then we should be sitting back and enjoying the work of somebody else. Mm. And what you're saying is that, no, we're all called on mission. And when we're not working our nine to five job, it's not the time to sit back, right? The time to engage the mission that Christ has given us is not only at work, but also when we're not at work, right? When we're sitting at home, we're walking along the road, right? All those sorts of things, wherever we are, whenever we are, that's the time to engage in the mission that Christ has given us. And you know, if we're buying into the consumeristic mindset, the time for producing is when we're working, not when we're not working. Yeah, I, I mean, 
pastoring for the last seven years, one of the things that I would hear all the time are they'd come up and they'd say, Pastor Tony, I, I just don't feel like I know anyone in the church. Mm-hmm. Right? What, what can we do? There's there's a disconnect between, and, and this is what I would get all the time. There's a major disconnect between the old and new members of the church. Yeah. And so my response was always, and still to this day is, if anybody were to ask me about this when I work with churches, I always like to ask people, well, what are you doing to close the gap? You know, what's your part in this? And and the hard part is, is I think um, most people can't get creative about what it means to be intentional in closing the gap. You know what I mean? Because they've been so sucked into the system. Well, hey, if you don't have a potluck and you don't put name tags on us and you don't do a mixer, then there's no way we're going to get to know anyone. And I'm like, it's not my job to make sure that you have relationships. That's core to your identity in Christ. Christ never did relationships alone, right? Right. Hey, if you want to follow Christ, get with some people and have those people um, in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So why do you think people have trouble having relationships or knowing how to move those forward? And I realize I'm asking an extrovert on this who loves relationships, but um, what do you see? What do you think? I I think most um, often there's a fear of being rejected out of the system of the world that we live in. Hmm. You you know, we we see this all the time on social media, right? is uh, I have a social media, an outward expression of who I am, and it's not my broken self. One of the things I've realized a long time ago is that everyone will identify as a sinner. I've never gone to a church, and I've said, raise your hand as a sinner, where someone didn't raise their hand. Everyone always raises their hand. Yeah. And yet, no one ever wants to be called out for their sin. Hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's because they're afraid they won't fit in if they're a sinner. If their yeah. sin is, is is labeled, yet what I'm looking for, and, and I think what happens in healthy disciple making is we have enough intimacy where I can call out someone's sin and someone can call out mine. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. All right. So that, what I hear you saying is a disconnection, right? We, we have these arm length relationships, but we're not close enough to connect to somebody else's heart. Yeah, right? we can't we can't say that to them. But you know, another part of that is I'm I'm not even sure a lot of people are able to meaningly meaningfully connect to their own hearts, hmm. right? It, to to ask somebody or you know just personally, you know, there are days where I'm like I don't even know what's going on with me. You know, I feel like I'm just going from one thing to the next instead of really knowing, you know, what is actually going on inside me that's causing me to to be the way that I am in the world, whether that's emotionally to um, experience the world in a certain way or to connect or not want to connect, you know, I'm just not even sure, right? Because it's hard to connect our own hearts sometimes in the midst of all the entertainment and movement in our culture. Yeah, I think that, um, I think if we're going to want to turn away from this idea about the numbness of the world, then we're going to have to um, get back to our biblical identity in Christ hmm. and, and not, not our identity in the culture, not our, even our, our genealogical, our, you know, our family identity, but, but truly the only identity that, that can truly be trusted, which is, um, you know, which is what we see in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So Tony, really, we've we've kind of identified a couple things, right? In in terms of how this is impacting the church, 
uh, as the people of the church and disciple making, we see kind of a pervasive passivity. We see a disconnection from the heart, both our own, but also inability to connect to other people's hearts. And I think the other thing, and, and you're kind of getting at this with this idea of um, identity in Christ, is that we often have an inability to believe that God desires to use us as is, right? Because if we don't think we're the experts, then we have trouble thinking, well, God must be using those people, not me. Um, And it's those things that, well, if we really believe our identity in Christ, that, you know, he says that, um, that the student will be like his master. Well, if we're a student, we are becoming like that. If we really are, um, you know, a priesthood of all believers, there's no difference between me as a priest in terms of how God sees me and somebody who's been to seminary and is pastoring in a church. We're both priests with a different uh, a different aim, right? Where we're aimed is a little bit different. But in terms of our calling, it's the same. And it's these ideas that I think are super important when we think about how do we avoid these ideas of, you know, our identity being demanded from us uh, as a result of living or experiencing a consumeristic culture. Um, Man, Tony, we're almost out of time already. Um, Can you take us out with kind of our takeaway for the day and our action step? Yeah, it was a a quick discussion today because this is such a big and important topic. So um, we'll try to simplify it as best we can with our takeaway and action step. The takeaway is this. When we lose our identity in Christ when we succumb to culture. We, you and I, lose our identity in Christ when we succumb to culture. And the action step is turn to God's word. Turn to God's word and find your identity in him, in Christ. So we want to challenge you guys, dive into scripture this week, see what God has to say about you, and maybe even write it down, put it on your bathroom mirror, put it somewhere where you won't lose it. Um, it's probably going to be a daily battle for all of us to to fight back culture and see ourselves through Christ's eyes. As always, it's our pleasure to be with you every single week. We're thankful to be on this journey with you. Do us a favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. Le- be sure to leave us a, a rating review on iTunes and now on Spotify. So leave your rating review on either the, either or or both if you're feeling real froggy. And uh, we can't wait to jump in next week as we talk about discipling like Jesus with special guest Dan Spader. Dan's a phenomenal Jesus scholar. I know you're going to love this conversation. Be here next week. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Discipling like Jesus, an interview with Dan Spader. We'll see you guys real soon.